Terry, thank you choir, thank you our praise team, thank you for worshiping this morning. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, familiar passage of scripture, I'm going to share with you a sermon entitled Three Crosses on Calvary. I appreciate Terry singing that song this morning. Three Crosses on Calvary, and we want to look at Luke chapter 23, and we'll look at verse 32 through verse 46. Luke 23, beginning with verse 32, reading through verse 46. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast slots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, and offered him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ... Save thyself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come and worship. And now, Lord, to open the Holy Scriptures, read the inspired Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. Father, I pray for each person here this morning. I, I know without a doubt that your Word will not return void. I know that you will bless your Word as it goes from pew to pew, person to person, and works in everyone's heart, including my own. Father, speak to our hearts. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. Give me a clear understanding of your word today. I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'm going to share about three crosses on Calvary. Now there are two words in the scripture which virtually mean the same thing. Calvary and Golgotha. Calvary is a Latin word and Golgotha is an Aramaic word but they both refer to the place where Jesus was crucified and died. You'll hear those used in, in, uh, inexchangeable throughout the Scripture. 
But in the preceding verses that we didn't read, you'll find where Jesus was tried before Pilate. He was tried before Herod. Neither one could find fault in him. But in order to please the crowd, they gave him over, Scripture says, to be crucified. The Scripture says they led him away. In verse 26, they led him away to be crucified. Verse 32 declares that there were two others also led away with him to be crucified. And verse 33 says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, when they were come to the place which is called Golgotha, Calvary, there they crucified him, the male factors one on the right and the other on the left. And so the point is, it's clear that there are three crosses, there were three crosses erected on that day at Calvary. And now as I look out in this congregation this morning, I really, no doubt, can say that represented here, there are three crosses represented here this morning. There are people of three crosses. There are people here that represent the cross on the left. There are people here that represent the cross uh, on the right. And there are people here that represent the cross in the middle. And so three crosses on Calvary, three crosses here this morning. So if you read in verse 38, they printed a sign above the head of Jesus. They printed it in Greek, they printed it in Latin, they printed it in Hebrew, they printed it in the known languages of that day to make sure everyone that passed by would know that this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now, we too could print and hang a sign above the cross on the left. We could say this is the cross of the doomed. Uh, The word doomed is an unpleasant word simply means something unpleasant is about to happen to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. We could hang a sign above the cross on the left and say, this is the cross of the doomed. So first of all, you have the cross on the left. It's the cross of the doomed. So if you're taking notes, the cross on the left is the cross of the doomed. Now I want you to notice the person on that cross, the person on the cross on the left. Verse 39, one of the malefactors. One of the malefactors exclaimed, If thou be Christ, save thyself in us. Now notice that. Notice he said, if. Notice his unbelief. Starts out with if, doubting that he was even uh, who he said that he was. If thou be the Christ, save thyself in us. And so you that are here this morning, you've never recognized Jesus as Lord. You've never turned from your sins and turned to Jesus. You failed to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You've not believed in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. You've not invited Christ to come into your life, humbled your heart, and cried out to God to save you because of your unbelief. Really, your unbelief, my friend, now listen, your unbelief has nailed you to the cross on the left, the cross of the doomed. John 3, verse 36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And so your unbelief 
has nailed you to the cross on the left. I've had many people to explain to me and share with me that they didn't believe in God. They say, Brother Sammy, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in this thing called salvation. I think God is, I really believe in universalism. I believe God is going to save everybody then. I just don't believe a, a good and loving God would send anybody to hell. I believe everybody's going to be saved sooner or later. I really believe that we're just trying to get there in different ways. I believe everybody's going to get there. I don't believe there's, there's only one way to go to heaven, and that's through Jesus. I don't believe that. I believe there's many ways to go to heaven. Some say that. They say, I don't believe in one way. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in heaven. Listen, friend, your unbelief has nailed you to the cross of the doomed. Amen. Now, not only is the person on the cross of the doomed, but that person, I want you to notice the position. It's on the left. It's on the left. The unbeliever. The position of the cross. The person of the cross, the unbeliever. The position on the, of the cross, it's on the left. I believe as you would look at Calvary, and I've been to Calvary, I've been to Golgotha, Gordon's Calvary, I've been there. And it looks just like a skull from a distance. You can see the eye sockets, eyeball sockets. You can see those eye sockets. And you can see a facial indention. You, it looks like a skull, it really does. And as you looked up at Calvary, at Golgotha, on this day, you'd see those three crosses. And as you looked at those crosses, I believe the one on the left would be a little farther away from the center cross than the one on the right. Because, you see, God has always gathered those closest to Him on His right. The Bible says that the disciples argued, what? Who would sit at the right hand of Jesus, of God, with Jesus? Matthew 25, Christ separated the sheep and the goats. And he put, the, he put the goats on the left, and he put the sheep on the right. Christ is now sitting where? He's sitting at the right hand of, Christ, uh, of God. And so the cross on the left, I believe, is the unbeliever whose unbelief has separated him from the closeness of God. And there will come a time, there will come a day, when that person who totally rejects Christ will leave this walk of life, will die, will... Uh, according to Hebrews 9.27, and they'll immediately go into this place called hell, and they'll be separated from God forever and forever and forever and forever. Amen. So his, his, the, the unbeliever is on the left, the cross of the doom, the position of the cross is on the left. Matthew 25, verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so listen, friend, not only are you on the cross of the doomed, but you're headed for the place of the doomed. You're headed for this place called hell. Now listen, hell is a place. Hell is not the grave. Hell is a place. Heaven is a place. Hell, hell is real. Hell was real during the time of Jesus. Hell is real today. Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. Heaven is a real place. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a real place. This earth is not going to be heaven. 
Heaven is where? Jesus ascended. He ascended up. Heaven is somewhere above the blues. The song says, it's not here. Granted, we'll have a new heaven. We'll have a new earth. But this, this old earth is going to be, it's not going to be what God has prepared for us. I tell you, I grant you that. Luke chapter 16. Notice chapter 16 of Luke. Familiar passage. And we'll look at verse 22. In Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Verse 22 says, and it came to pass. It's talking about, I'm referencing to hell now, about being a real place. It came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. Isn't that a beautiful picture for the, for the poor man? All of a sudden, this poor man died and he was carried by angels into, into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. He was just buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And so, listen, a place of hell is real. Hell is a place of torment, a place of everlasting fire, a place of collection of those that are wicked a place of those that have been separated from God forever and forever and forever. Hell is a place of torment. Years ago, and I've shared this illustration on another occasion, but years ago I was coming back from a revival down in Vina, Ebenezer Baptist Church down below Vina. Turn left in Vina and go about seven or eight more miles right at the edge of Mississippi. And coming back from Vina, there was this, I thought I'd run over a recap in the road. I thought, man, that's a recap. And I, I thought, I wonder if that's a snake. So I turn around and I go back, and, and it was a snake. They got snakes as big as recaps in vinyl. You won't believe that, but they have. And I put my lights down on that snake, and it was, it, was in, it was in torment. I realized what the word torment meant for the first time, really. That snake couldn't live, and it couldn't die. It was just sitting there. It was wanting to live, but it couldn't live. It was wanting to die, and it couldn't die. That's what hell is like. People in hell are wanting to live, and they can't live. They're wanting to die, and they can't die. They're in this place called hell. And there's no really need for that. Simply, you trust Jesus Christ, you know you have a home in heaven. My goodness. So first, you have the cross on the left, the cross of the doomed, the person, the position, and the place they're headed. Now, secondly, notice there's a cross on the right. And that cross on the right is the cross of the redeemed. And so you have the smell factor hanging on that cross. Luke 23, look back at Luke 23, and look at verse 40 and 41. But the other, speaking of the other male factor, the person on the cross, on the right, the other answered and rebuked him, kind of scolded the other thief, and he said, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, in other words, we deserve what we're going through. And, and he says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And so, first of all, he saw himself as a sinner. You know, that's what you have to do, first thing. You have to do in order to go to heaven, you've got to realize that you're a sinner. And this poor man on that cross realized that he was being punished, and his punishment was just because of his deeds. And the Bible says we're all sinners by nature and by choice. And there's not a person here that's not a sinner. Every one of us are sinners by nature. We're born that way. That's why I have to be born again. We're born that way. 
We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. He saw himself as a sinner. We deserve to be put to death. My friend, listen, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short. Someone mentioned recently that's an archery term. In other words, it's kind of like an archer shooting, drawing back a string on a bow and letting it go. And right before it gets to the target, it falls short. You've missed God's target. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've missed his righteousness. We have none. So he recognized that he was a sinner. He recognized he deserved what was coming to him. He recognized, notice this, who Jesus was. Look at verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, what did he say? He said, Lord, Lord, kuros, one who has all power and authority and control. So he recognized who Jesus was. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so he recognized who Jesus was. And then he asked Jesus to save him. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How about that? In verse 42, he asked Jesus to save him. He believed who Jesus was. He knew he was. He believed who Jesus was. He confessed him as Lord. You know what the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confessing what? Confessing that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Listen, notice what this thief did. He, he realized he was a sinner. I indeed justly for this. This has justified me on this cross. And then he recognized Jesus. This man's done nothing wrong. And then he called him Lord. And then he asked him to save him. Remember me when you come into, into, into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said today. You're going to be with me in paradise. See, that's, that's exactly what God wants to do for everyone. So the person on the right, the cross of the redeemed, the place of the cross, it's on the right. And the one that was headed prior to hell now is headed to be with Jesus in that place called paradise. Now, don't get hung up on the word paradise. Paradise is a transliteration of a Greek word which simply means beauty, enjoyment, or a garden. It's, it's a word that describes a very blessed experience. To put it short, it's, it's, a, it's the abode, an abode with God. It's where God is. Okay? And so if you're not careful, Matthew 25, says, verse 33 says, Then shall he say to them on his right, Come, you blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Listen, that's, that's paradise, where God is. That's paradise. Don't miss the point. The, point's not, the point of the message in this verse is not, the thief wasn't baptized. That's not the message. The message here is not paradise. Well, where is paradise? I had a lady ask me one time years and years ago. She said, uh, where's a thief at today in the, I said, well, he's in heaven. She said, well, the Bible says he's in paradise. And I said, I oh, know. He, he, uh, he went to paradise with Jesus. And she said, well, where's paradise? I said, I'm not going to tell you where paradise is. She said, why? And I said, well, if you don't understand the need to be saved, and if you don't understand about giving your life to Christ, if, you're not, if you don't understand about what it is to live a righteous and holy and pure life, there's no way you're going to understand how he got from paradise to heaven. You see, it's not about where paradise is. It's about one being lost 
and the other men saved Jesus. That's the message. So the message is those who see themselves as a sinner, recognize Jesus as the Son of God, turn to Him, place their faith in Him, believing in His death, burial, and resurrection, call on Him to save them. They'll be with Him throughout all eternity in a place that, he's been, that He has gloriously prepared for all of those that uniquely belong to Him through faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the message of that passage. So you got the first cross, you got the cross on the left, you got the cross on the right, and now you got a cross in the middle. The cross of the committed. The third cross, the cross of the committed. The cross in the middle speaks of total commitment. That's one Jesus hung on. Total commitment. So committed to the will of God that he was willing to leave heaven and come to a sinful world to die on the cross for your sins and my sins, for the world's sins. And not just any death, Philippians tells us, but, to, but the death of a cross, the most inhumane type of punishment or, or execution anyone could have experienced during that period of time. So first, notice what happened to the man in the middle, God the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He experienced first physical pain. He experienced physical pain as he, was, as he uh, uh, experienced torture, being, um, you know, he, he experienced this physical pain through torture, through beatings, through uh, spitting, through insults. All of this was a physical, mental type pain that Jesus experienced being whipped, being mocked as a king, crown of thorns placed upon his head, mocking him as a king, blood running down the side of his face. You can imagine the scene. Uh, a reed placed in his hand as a scepter. He was stripped naked. All the pictures we see uh, uh, of an artist's rendition has a little cloth around him. No, nah, he, was, he was stripped naked, humiliated by people passed by and looked upon him. Nailed to a cross, raised between two th- uh, uh, hung between two thieves, raised between heaven and earth as an, as an embarrassment and humiliated to all that walked by. Now, why was that? Because he was committed to the Father's will. Not only physical pain, but he experienced mental pain. During his physical pain, the sky turned black. And God turned his face away from his son. Normally, you know, we run to our children when they're hurting and when they're suffering and when they need us as parents. But God turned his face away from his son all because the sin of the world was placed upon him. And being a holy God, he could not look upon that sin. And Jesus bore in his body as my substitute God's wrath on sin. And Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, Lamont the Bathlessai. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for a period of time, Jesus was all alone and died and gave up the ghost. Why? Because he was committed to the Father for the salvation of mankind. He was in heaven, he came to earth. He was rich, he became poor. He was divine, but he was born of a virgin, became human. He was sinless, but yet he became sin for us. Why? Committed to the Father's will. And so there on the cross at Calvary, three crosses. 
cross on the left, the cross of the doomed, the cross on the right, the cross of the redeemed, and the cross in the middle is the cross of committed. Now today, here's the big question. Which cross are you on? Have, you, have your sins nailed you? Your unbelief nailed you to the cross of the doomed? Have you asked Christ to come into your life and, and, and to redeem you and to save you? To experience this thing called the new birth? And if so, have you committed yourself fully and true and, and holy to, to Jesus Christ? The cross of the doomed, the cross of the redeemed, and the cross of the committed. Years ago, years, years ago, almost 30 years ago now, I guess. I, I'm not a poet, but I don't know, I was just writing one night, and I jotted this down, and I've read it before years ago here, and I'll read it again. I entitled it Calvary or, or Golgotha. There's a hill outside of Jerusalem that's marked by shame and despair. It's a hill called Calvary. God's Son was crucified there. He bled and He died for all sinners, a terrible sight to see. Yet had it not been for Calvary, I, a condemned sinner, would be. Today it's covered with weeds and thorn bushes, a place not desirable to see. But centuries ago, the beauty of Calvary was revealed by an old rugged tree. I'll always remember Calvary, not for the beautiful flowers I see, but for the shame and despair of Christ Jesus as He hung from that old rugged tree. I'll never forget Calvary as long as this life shall be. Had it not been for Calvary, I, a condemned sinner, would be. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? The hymn writer said, no, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Friend, this morning, you're either on the left, on the right, or in the middle. That's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to open your word and look at that terrible day for you, Lord, as you hung on the cross in agony and pain and dying on that cross as my substitute, bearing all the shame, the physical pain, the mental pain, Lord, that I could have forgiveness of my sin by trusting and believing in the complete sacrifice given by God Almighty, His only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. I thank You, Lord, for dying for me and for giving me Your righteousness. And through my simple faith and trust in You and believing in Your death and Your burial and resurrection and one day looking for You to come again. And that day is coming soon. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for me. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.